Welcome to Game Over Montreal. As always, I'm Andrew Berkshire, and uh, as always, the Canadians have lost another game, but they made it to overtime. So, hey, incremental improvements. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by a good buddy of mine. It's Joey Alfieri, so I'm going to welcome him in right now. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm uh, enjoying being able to watch the games with no stress because, you know, there's nothing <laughs> to, to be expected this season now. It's uh, it's fun. I mean, I think that uh, as much as the Canadians have lost three in a row now, uh, the last one being in overtime, the last four games have been their best four games of the season. As odd as it is, I know they've had that crappy situation against the Golden Knights and they kind of got blown out by the Islanders. But if you look at the actual way they've played, it's been the best four games of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of, um, maybe the, like a four game stretch in a row. Cause like early on yes. in the season, like they were, yeah, like they were, they had a decent showing on opening night against Toronto. Like they've had some performances here and there, but man, if this is the best four game stretch of the season so far, uh, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a problem. I was just going to say, I mean, they're now what three, 10 and one in 14 games. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's not a pretty situation, but the fact is, like, uh, I mean, there's some incremental improvement. They're scoring two goals a game now instead of one, right? <laughs> You're so, so positive. You're yeah. so positive, but it's new. Like, it's just it's new ways to lose. Yes. Every every time, every night, right? Like every other night is a new way to lose. So I'm kind of I'm I was curious to see tonight how they would bounce back after giving up the game tying goal. Uh, in the second period, right? Because usually that's when the wheels fall off. And the wheels kind of did fall off in the second period. Like they were badly outchanced. Yep. But uh, the two goals in regulation were terrible. Like Jake Allen has to stop those. They're from sing similar angles. And he's got to come up with the saves. But then he made like these unbelievable saves. Like the one going to his left on Deneau and the rebound was uh, Iafalo. Like, so he kept them in the game. While taking them out of the game, and then like I don't you 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 anti mushed Jake Evans too. I saw that on Twitter. Like you had something, <laughs> something. Well, I mean something true to say about Jake Evans, but then he ended up coming back and silencing you, me, and yes. everybody else who doubted. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who missed it, it was like Jake Evans had like three decent chances in the game, and I was like, you know, if he just had five percent more talent, where he could just like pull that puck a little bit around and put it in the net, he'd be amazing. And then, of course, he scores the goal of his career. Like, he's not going to score a prettier goal than that, right? Absolutely that was amazing. Not. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, you said the 5% thing, and I was thinking it because you said it. I think you tweeted it right after he, like, had the puck on the left side and he made that power move and got to the front of the net but then missed the net. Yes. Like, he thinks the game really well. It's just what the mind wants to do and what his hands and ability can do are two very different things. Uh, but I was happy for him. Like, you know, it's been a tough start to the year for him, too. They asked him or they put him in a role he clearly isn't ready for. And I don't know if he's ever going to be ready for it. So the fact that he can flash that little bit of skill every once in a while, help them get a loser point tonight. I mean, it's it's going to be a nice little positive. Yeah, it's better than nothing. Although I mean, <laughs> at, this, at this point, the Canadians, it's better to lose, right? Like to get a top end pick this year, I think is should be the goal, essentially. Like, yeah. Uh, do a little reset, let your young kids dominate in the AHL 
figure it out for next year, two years down the line, which is unfortunate for me launching a new Montreal Canadiens based show. <laughs> but hey, that's what we're going to do. We're still going to have fun every night. And uh, I mean, I think there are a few positives to point out in this game. Like, even though they lost uh, three on three is a bit of a crapshoot. I thought they owned that three on three for the most part. Like they really oh, yeah. only gave up two chances and the one of them. I actually, I can't believe they didn't call Jeff Petrie for when Iafalo uh, got away from him and he just oh, reached yeah. a free hand out and pulled his shoulder. Like yeah. it's one thing to like let things go in the overtime, but when a guy has essentially a breakaway and you negate it by pulling their shoulder back, like I was kind of shocked they didn't call that. But that's the officials in this league. They're they're very hit or miss. And like you're right though. Like even if we take it back, uh, Andrew, to right before overtime, so. Uh, Evan scores, and then they really took it to them. Like Hoffman had a chance from the low slot. Toffoli had a great look. Suzuki had the wraparound that he just couldn't tuck it uh, to the inside of the post. They had the power play, uh, which actually looked really, really good uh, toward to the end toward the end of the game. And then you had like the Dvorak chance in overtime on the two on one. Like they had some looks. Like they could have easily come away with two points tonight. Yeah, and I think what you hit on in the, the, your first little bit at the start of the stream was that you know you look for the Canadians to start collapsing as soon as something goes wrong. And that second period, as soon as they allowed that one goal, they just they have that period where they feel sorry for themselves and they're like, oh, everything's going to go wrong. The body language is terrible. And I hate reading the yeah. body language, but it's terrible. And they just like, they sulk and they get beaten down. And, you know, Ellie was dominant in that period. They got five high danger scoring chances in that in the second period, the entire rest of the game at even strength, they got two. So like yeah. the Canadians outchanced them in high danger chances, 14 to seven in the game. So like, let's give some credit to Cal Peterson who held them in a little bit. I think he made some yeah. pretty dynamite saves. And I think we could argue about like how good the Canadians are at converting on those chances. How many of those chances missed the net. Right. But I think Cal Peterson had a really strong game. Uh, mm. Jake Allen was good, but like you said, he gave up a couple weak ones. And that's kind of been the story for the last stretch here. He's been not necessarily awful, but beaten on a lot of beatable, like savable shots, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think you look at the three wins uh, that they've had this year, and he's been their best player in those games, in like two of those three games by a mile. Right. There was uh, in San Jose, I want to say. And then even in the Detroit game, the one they won 6-1, like he had some pretty big saves yeah. early on uh, when the when the score was tight. So uh, it's no coincidence that, you know, when they when he plays well, they win. And it's just I hate talking about the goaltending because it's just like such an easy narrative. But in this case, like those shots need to be stopped. And I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I thought the wheels were going to fall off again. Six seconds is the fastest goal in King's history to start a period. And I don't even know how you let that in, but they, they managed to hang in there. Um, tip of the cap to uh, Brendan Lemieux. Did Brendan Lemieux wake up Brendan Gallagher, Andrew? Is that, is that what we're going to call it? Is that how we're, is that how we see that? It sure looked like it. I mean, that's kind of the, the risk of being an agitator, right? Is that sometimes you go a step too far and just really piss a team off and wake them yeah. up. Because it was a, a pretty stagnant period until that second call against Pozzetta, which I still think Pozzetta, like probably feels like garbage right yeah. now, right? Because to get suckered by the same guy twice, like, they, I, I mean, honestly, Lemieux should have been called for diving both times. But yeah. that's who he is, 
right? So mm-hmm. you got to figure that he's going to get away with one at some point and he's going to draw you in. So just don't engage. Like, there's no point in engaging. But he, it sure looked like he woke up Gallagher. It's too bad that the power play couldn't get anything done for the Canadians because Gallagher drew that call. I thought that was it, right? When Deneau's off, yeah. he's their defensive specialist. You think this is the opportunity, but they just couldn't get it done. I, I understand like the tendency to favor puck control with guys on their strong sides, yeah. but with Hoffman and Suzuki on their strong sides, like there's no one-timer options on that power play. And to keep that unit out, uh, they had good puck control, that whole power play, mm-hmm. but they weren't getting any good shots off. Yeah. Well, I like, first of all, I like that they called the timeout there. Cause that second unit yeah. and like, woof, like the, the second unit, I like Petrie obviously hasn't been right, but just like if if the answer is Armia and Sharat on a power play unit, like yes, no, thank you. Like I'll just I'll call the timeout. So I like that they did that. But you're right. Like at one point Hoffman got a shot off, but I think he hit the side of the net, or Peterson like redirected with the blocker or whatever. But it wasn't going to hit the net anyway. But there's no threat, no, uh, for the one timer. And that's you're like right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about the second unit people power play because i had actually written that down in my notes i was like i got to talk about this (laughs) does any team in the league and i know sherrod scored tonight and i actually thought today was maybe his best game of the whole year dude the guy has three goals man yeah i know how many players on the team have more goals than this guy i know that's the crazy thing and you know what we are going to talk about sherrod in a positive way which is a very rare thing for me but (laughs) to talk about this power play no disrespect to the guy i know he's red hot from the scoring perspective for a defenseman but is there any lead any team in the league whose second unit power play has guys who are less capable of scoring than Armia and Sherat. Like I like Armia. I have time for Armia, but he's a luxury fourth line guy. I know that he has a lot of skill and you watch him in practice and you're like, wow, this guy's Mario Lemieux, but his ability to translate his practice skills into game skills only shows up one every like 15 games. And those one, that one game is fantastic. But the yeah. other games, you're just like, he's just he's just a good fourth line guy who occasionally looks like a first liner, and he fools people into thinking that he can be like an elite scorer, and it's it's not going to happen. But even like at the end of the game, there after Evans scored his uh, amazing goal, they threw Evans out on the power play as well, and it's like, yeah, I get it, but like, <laughs> okay, that's a pretty yeah, weak sure. power play, guys. So you don't think Armia missed the net on the first goal, on the Sharat goal on purpose? Like, you don't think he was trying to angle the puck off the... You think that was a fluke, though? <laughs> if, if any Montreal Canadiens player is missing the net on purpose at this point, they yeah. need to be put in the press box because they're missing the net a hell of a lot. Yeah, I just... I don't know. Like, I know on special teams, it's been a bit of an adventure, and I'm all for experimenting on the power play, the penalty kill, and all that. But uh, man, like, the, like the, I, I at this point, I would need for that first unit, and I kind of like Weidman. Like, I get it; they demoted Petrie to the second unit, and they put Weidman. But on the power play, like, I feel like Weidman does make good decisions when it comes to distributing the pucks. So I kind of get why they're experimenting here, um, but that second unit, like we said, it just it doesn't give you anything. Like, even at the end of the game, how long did they get on for? Like twenty five, the last 25, 30 seconds, and they just like. They had the puck in the offensive zone, but it was like behind the net half the time. So, yeah, I just uh, I don't see it. But without Drouin, I you know I get it. That's a big piece that's kind of missing on your power play. It's a skill guy that's not there. Yeah, they're they're kind of up against the wall there, unfortunately, yeah. with the injuries that they have. And I would assume that even if 
if Edmondson was healthy, he might take that spot on the power play just because of his familiarity with Petrie. I still think if they're healthy, I would rather see them run a four forward power play on both units. I think yeah. it's just, it just makes more sense. And once everybody's healthy, if they ever get healthy, I do think they have the forward depth to do that. They still need another center though. Like I like Jake Evans and he scored an amazing goal tonight. I thought he had a really strong night overall, but I think he's a four C not a three C. He's and a four. Yeah. Like be, putting him outside of that slot just exposes him a lot more. And it, yeah. it makes him do things that are, you know, not necessarily within his, the scope of his abilities and he gets caught and that didn't happen really tonight until, I mean, I don't know. Can you even say he got caught on the overtime? He just got outplayed by Campy. He was a better player. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that you can, yeah, he's definitely a better player, but I don't know that you can let the guy get to the outside that yeah. easily. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I won't pull it all on him, but that was, uh, that certainly wasn't a, a great look, but don't even worry, man. Pockets out. So Adam Brooks, come on down four forwards on the power play. There you go. Yeah, I mean, unfortunate for Paquette because I thought that line was actually playing pretty well the last couple of games, right, with him between uh, Pazetta and Belzile. But, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, unfortunate that he hasn't been able to find any consistency between, you know, getting suspended and taking penalties. And it's been a rough start for Paquette for a few different reasons. But I thought if you watch what he's actually doing on the ice when he's not taking penalties, I've actually liked his game a little bit. He had some jam tonight. He created some turnovers in the offensive zone. But uh, looked pretty rough. The injury there. Um, so random. Go through, like, do you was, see that? Hmm? Like the injury. Like it was just so random. Like he was yeah. like engaged, but it just like he kind of twist the knee twisted wrong, and he skated off. It was just it was. It's not like it was contact. Like I don't want. I don't know that it was a non-contact injury, but he just kind of. I don't know. It looked weird. Like I didn't even catch it in real time. Marty showed the replay like a period later. Yeah, it's just the limp. As he was going to the bench, right? And never a fun thing to see. One thing I did notice during the game, though, and I know it's kind of tough right now because they're trying to figure out combinations that work with all the injuries that they have and, you know, with Druin out of the lineup. Mm -hmm. But that Dvorak Anderson Gallagher line, throw that into the fire, man. (laughs) Like, I know Anderson's sick. But that line had nothing until the third period. They're the only line that got outplayed by the Kings tonight, and it just looked brutal. And I think there's a, a lot of good things to say about Dvorak so far this season. I think he's a decent two-way player, but offensively, just not very creative. I'm, I'm not seeing the spark there that you yeah. want out of a 2C, and I just I think it's a waste of Gallagher to put him on that line if you're going to get outplayed. Like, let him create some offense for Suzuki. I don't think that those two mesh. Like Anderson, you can kind of just throw him out there with whoever doesn't really rely on line mates to set him up anyway. It's kind of just like when he's going, it's like put your head down, get yep. to the net with your speed. But I don't know. Like you can say whatever you want about Phil Deneau not being a you know an offensive center, but Phil Deneau can play make better than Dvorak can. And, I know what Dvorak did in Arizona. I, I know he played power play, you know, even strengths and uh, and penalty kill. And I know he produced offense a little bit more than Deneau did when he was in Montreal. But I don't know, man. Like, it's different when, you, when you're in that primetime role in Arizona. It's, it's different than coming here and being the microscope night in, night out. It, it's kind of it's, – it's a different – it's totally different ballgame. So – 
I still don't know what he is. Like, if you go based on what he did in Arizona, yeah, he's a 2C. If you go based on what he's done so far in Montreal, I'll be honest with you, you say he's been okay. Like, I, I haven't been impressed at all through 14 games or whatever. And I know he's banged up. It was a game-time decision tonight. I don't know how long he's been injured. But I certainly hope, like, there's – like I hope there's more to give there, and I hope that he can find another level soon and find that comfort level uh, because, uh, yeah, I don't think it's been – he hasn't been as advertised. I don't think he's delivered what they expected him to deliver. No, not at all. I mean, I think that he's kind of – the kind of player that a coach loves, right? Because he's like a comfortable slipper. So, you know, yeah. he's going to win face-offs. He's not bad defensively at all. Like, he does his job there. He's got some good skating ability so he can join rushes and like he doesn't take too many risks that create bad turnovers the other way around. So yeah. it's an easy guy for a coach to play. And I feel like that's part of the reason why the Canadians valued him so highly yeah. is that's the kind of player that Mark Bergevin likes, right? There's very few players that they acquire over the last have acquired over the last several years that take a risk to make a play. I feel like Hoffman is really the only one this year. You know, yeah. uh, and he's he's working out all right. I like what he does in the power play. E even strength's been a bit of a adventure. He hasn't really found a home outside of that line where they had him with uh, Gallagher and Suzuki, which I thought was really good. And yeah. clearly they feel like they can't keep them together while Druin is out, unfortunately. But Druin was like, the, the, I know it's a while back now, Andrew, but Druin was supposed to be that type of acquisition too, right? But they're, right. it's always about like, oh, no, you got to be more consistent without the puck, without the puck. So like, even if they do go out and get risk takers, like this regime, they're going to break you until you don't want to take as many risks anymore. You want to be sound without the puck. Like, it's great. I get it. I understand why you want guys that are, you know, smart, that think the game real well on, you know, 200 by 85 or whatever it is. But you also need guys at a certain point that are going to take a chance when you need them to guys who are going to rely on their skill we're going to take a chance to make a play and it's just like with this team it's like if you have any bit of individual talent or skill or flair like they're going to try to beat it out of you yeah they, really, they but, don't yeah. like it and that and that's been going back a long time i mean look at the way that they developed alex galchenyuk right or like yeah. any moment they were trying to give him more responsibility it was like no don't do your thing do our thing the square peg into the round hole philosophy has been very evident in this organization. Uh, before we move on to David Savard, which we have to talk about, um, we'll talk about Ben Sherrod as well. well. We'll do a segment on defensemen here, sure. but I want to give a shout out to Robert Malloy, who's the mod on our streams and the SDPN social media manager. It's his birthday today. So Happy shout birthday. out to Robert. Shout and out. also, I keep on forgetting to say this on the show. I put it on social media, but if you download the new SDPN app, which is fantastic. You can actually watch the show on YouTube the next day and you can do it on, you know, how on your phone, you can kind of shrink screens and use other apps at the same time. Yeah. You can't do that with the YouTube app, but you can do that with YouTube videos for the whole SDPN network on the app. And also game over now has a merch store, which you can check out, which has some pretty sick designs on it from, uh, I think Jesse Blake designed them because he's a multi-talented psycho who does everything for this <laughs> network. So shout out to all that stuff and uh, happy birthday, Robert. So uh, Ben Sherratt, we'll talk about him first because I think it will, we'll lead with the positive before we get into Savard. Yeah. Best game of his year easily, I think. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine in DMS during the game and he was talking about like, oh, anytime Sherratt starts to 
go crazy offensively. You know, the defensive miscues start coming. And I was like, the, the defensive miscues are always there with Sherrod. So I actually prefer when he plays like he did tonight, where he's trying to pressure offensively. And like that goal was, it was good. He just like willed it into the net. It was his third yeah. scoring chance of that sequence, I think. And one thing that I noticed with Sherrod is that when he drops the shoulder and drives the net, opposing teams freak the hell out because he is a monster, you know, and like you don't expect him to do it. And I think whenever he does that, he creates so much chaos. I wish he would do it all the time. I think Sherrod should lean into it and try to be an offensive defenseman because I think he's much better at it than he is at playing defense. Wow, that is a hot take. I was not ready for that spicy take. <laughs> uh, I want to check the high danger chances, how they finished with the Sherrod on the ice, because I think it was like 5 nothing at one point in favor of the Canadians with uh, him. And I think Petrie was at 6 nothing. He finished at 8-5, which is, listen, that's still pretty respectable for uh, for Ben Sherrod. I, I don't know about, you know, putting your head down and letting him, like, already he's got power play time, Andrew. Like, one more. Like, how many goals do you want this guy to finish with? Like, you want him to hit double digits this year or what? But Go for it, uh, man. So, somebody's got to replace Shea Weber, right? Dude, only Mike Hoffman has more goals than uh, Ben Sherratt this year on the on the Canadians. But I, I do think he was pretty steady tonight. He was pretty stable. Like you said, like, the goal he scored, it wasn't right around the net, but it was still relatively close to the net. You want to take some chances. So um, I, I liked his game tonight. Like I had no problem with Ben Chirot tonight. And I'm just, I'm hoping that slowly but surely, you know, Jeff Petrie gets to where he needs to be. And then whether it's Edmondson who comes back and plays with him or if Chirot continues to play with him, like I just, I feel like whoever Petrie plays with, if he's at peak Petrie or close to peak Petrie, I feel like that guy who he's playing with is going to benefit. So uh, hopefully it's those two guys, but I think they're going to go back to Edmondson whenever he's, what is it, oh, the 10 days or whatever? I would, I would definitely assume so. And, you know, Petrie, it's tough to figure out what's going on there, but I do think he's getting better. Like, you can see the, like, the incline in his play, right? There's still some decision-making issues, yeah. especially on the power play. Like, one play stood out to me tonight where he kind of had, like, three guys open and he could have made, like, a safe play, but he, he tried to make what is really a, a relatively safe play down to Gallagher below the goal line and the Kings just like read the pass really easily and deflected it into the corner. And I, I believe it ended up clearing the zone, but uh, I don't know, man. I think Petrie, the, the biggest thing with him right now, I know he's not hundred percent healthy, but I think it's just the pressure and that's starting to ease off a little bit. But when you enter a season and I know that he's played really well when Weber's been on the IR before, but when you have the knowledge that like, he's never coming back and and then Mark Bergevin does that press conference and he's like, yeah, I'm not making any trades. The answer's in the room. You're like, yeah. so I'm not getting any reinforcements. <laughs> and like so much of the Canadians offense over the last several years has run through Jeff Petrie. And now there's like, there's nothing to release that pressure. Yeah. I feel yeah, like that's I, just, that does, does a number on your psyche. Yeah, I guess so. And I, and I think maybe it's a little different this time than it was in previous years, uh, just because like you're coming off a Stanley Cup final, like no matter who you lose, like you're coming off a, a trip to the Stanley Cup final. And so you know that there's going to be a certain expectation that's going to be there coming into the season. Still, I don't know. I, I think there's got to be something. There's some upper body issue. I don't know if it's like hand, wrist, arm. I don't know what it is. Like even tonight, he received like a pretty clean pass in the slot. And he's just like fumbling around with the puck. Like just, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something there uh, that, uh, that seems to be hampering him. But even like, you're right though. Like injury aside, he just, 
I don't know, maybe trying to do too much. I'm not sure what it is, but I thought that finally on Saturday night for the first time, like he was actually willing to shoot the puck. I know his shots tend to get blocked a lot this year where they miss the net, but I felt like I forget what, what golden night it was that went down to block a shot. And like, he really, like he was hurt. Like he was shaken up after. Yeah. Like he really felt it. And I felt like it was the first time all year uh, that that had happened or the first time in a while anyway. So I'm with you. I think slowly, but surely it's coming, but they need him to get involved in the offense. Cause like they don't have anybody who can move the puck, man. Like it's him or bust. Yeah, and like Weidman's been okay, but I think if you're if you've got Chris Weidman running your first wave power play, like yeah. that's just not a good situation. And we know yeah. Petrie's capable of it. I do wonder if it's the fingers after getting Maybe. caught in the camera hole last year. Like yeah. I remember when it happened, there was there was talk that he was gonna need surgery, and I don't think he ever got surgery. They never so, announced it if he did. Yeah. I it could be a situation where they were like, This is gonna be fine, doesn't need it, and now it's like not a hundred percent, you know, like yeah. anytime you got something that's throwing you off like that. I mean, look at Brendan Gallagher, right? How many times has his hand exploded now? <laughs> like, yeah, we're on a couple of bad times. luck, but he's another one. Like you can tell that with Gallagher, it's coming. I don't know if it's ever going to be all the way back to what it was. Cause like, it's just such a physically demanding style. So you can tell like never the greatest skater or anything like that, but he's still like, he's just like, he's a step off he's a step slower than he was at his peak but you can see like the desire is there like you talked about it after a Pizzetta gets called on the penalty him Athanasiu and Lemire like they're all sitting on the bench and they're all just like chirping each other and then like he drives right to the net gets two great scoring chances then gets high sticked in the face so like he's he's willing he wants to engage he's trying to get the guys going but I just I don't know that the body's gonna allow him to do that night in night out this season but those are two guys that yeah they, they need. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because I feel like Gallagher is also a guy who thrives on the competition, right? And yeah. if the Canadians have nothing to play for, we're not going to see the best of Brennan Gallagher because he's not yeah. going to be like, I don't want to, I'm not saying this as an accusation of him not being fully involved. I think that for any athlete at this level to get to that like 100% that you need to be at to be at your best, it has to be worth something, you know? Yeah it has to be something driving you beyond what you're normally capable of. And Gallagher is that almost every game. Right. But I don't know if we've seen it on, on a consistent basis this season. Like his on ice impact is still strong. He's still Brennan Gallagher, but he's not scoring goals. And mm-hmm. that could come down to the hand issue, holding it back. It could be just small sample size at the beginning of the season. And the fact is almost nobody's scoring goals for the Canadians, but I wonder if it would be better long-term since he's signed long-term for the Canadians, if they plan on running with him, that whole contract, sit him out a bit this season. I know you can't really right now because they're injured, but when the yeah. team is a bit healthier, let them have some rest, play some, do some of that, what do they call it? Load management. Right. Load man, yeah. And I know hockey I mean, players hate it. And I, it would be, I'm sure Brendan Gallagher would be a tough guy to talk to and be like, we're sitting you out tonight. But at the same time, if you've got nothing to play for this year, if you're not going to make the playoffs and they're not going to make the playoffs, let him rest a little bit. Let him heal up from the bumps and scrapes. Cause I, there can't be many people in the league get more banged up than Brennan Gallagher. No, hundred percent. It's funny. You mentioned that with Gallagher. Cause I was kind of going to say that with Petrie, like just yeah. at this point, like I know things are ugly and you believe if you're, you know, internally, you believe that you're going to get the season back on the rails and you can still make it happen. But like, 
what's the point? Like, if the guy's not right, like, just let him sit for a couple of weeks. And again, you're right with the load management, the hockey mentality is not the same as it is in basketball, but like, just, you know, tell him like, Jeff, sit down. You know, they, they say they're, they want to give Norlander a shot or whatever, when he's done this rehab assignment, I think tomorrow's the last one in, uh, in Laval for him. So I don't know, man, like just let these guys get to a hundred percent, health and at the same time you know give them a bit of rest they don't have to go night in night out but uh, Gallagher's one Petrie's another one like I, they're banged up right now but man I don't know like just season's not going anywhere but again you don't you know how hockey players think they're not like they think that they're going to rattle off like 10 in a row and get back into it you know well and I think especially a lot of the guys in that room probably think like that because last year all year yeah. they struggled with consistency right and they're like yeah. but you know we just need a chance and we're going to figure it out and then all of a sudden in the playoffs they are <laughs> unbeatable until the Stanley Cup <laughs> final, right? And it's easy to get that delusion in your head that athletes kind of have to have, right? You you can't be a pro athlete and not think that you're going to win every time, right? Mm-hmm. It's just to get to that level, you have to have some level of self-delusion in your brain that you're like, I'm the best. Our team is the best. We're always going to win. I remember like I talked to Dan- Vincent Demfus years ago now for a project I did for the John Molson School of Business. Mm-hmm. about uh, how uh, captaincy can affect performance essentially and we talked about him what like the responsibilities of a captain and how it can change the way that you play the game and i was talking to him about uh, later later in his career i think it was in like san jose when his point production just like went way down and i was like yeah so like what as you age what did you find like you lost like did you find you lose lose a step in skating and that like cut down your ability to get off shots off the rush or uh, did your shot start to go or were you like cumulative injuries? And he was like, no, they just gave me less power play time. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I think you were like 35 and you probably started to slow down a little bit. No, just power plays. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Vincent. <laughs> so it's like, you ha- I think you have to have some level of that of like, I will never get worse. I will never uh, fail to, to be a pro athlete. And I think that's admirable, but at the same time, you've got to, as the boss, as the coach, as the manager, you've got to manage those personalities as well. And if yeah. the Canadians hope to be competitive in the next couple of years, I think it is very imperative that you make Petrie and Gallagher last as players instead of, you know, redlining them in this in these lean years mm-hmm. and uh, ruining the rest of their careers. I'm with you. Uh, it's just I don't know. I don't know that we're going to get to the point where hockey people think this way like this year. And that's why I like, as much as we can discuss this till we're blue in the face, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Like I think in March when you're in third to last place in the league, like I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Petrie played like 27 minutes in a close game against Buffalo when it's like 40 below outside. You know what I mean? Like, I just like, they don't, they don't think of it that way. They think like, Hey, game to game, we've got to win. We've got to win. We've got to win. And so I'm with you, but they just hockey mentality just doesn't allow for it for whatever reason. Yeah. We'll get there maybe eventually, but it ain't coming soon. <laughs> nope. Not this yeah. year. So on to the negatives a little bit. Uh, David Savard, man, I just wrote an article about David Savard for the Montreal Gazette talking about how he's been better than his like goals against have looked so far this season. Man, that guy's on the struggle bus hard though. Like I I look at him and the first section of the season, I saw a guy who like every bad bounce you could possibly imagine is going against this guy. And we tweeted certain... about it last week. What? You and I were tweeting. You and I were tweeting yeah. about this last week. Like you couldn't catch a break. 
Yeah, and like to a certain extent, the same is true of tonight. Like the Ayafalo goal, Dvorak wins that faceoff, and the puck placement is like just a bit too far ahead of Savard, right? Yeah. And Ayafalo beats him there, but it's that moment's hesitation from Savard where he's like, <laughs> "Should I go for the puck?" Yes, and that's death, right? A guy against a guy who's faster than you. And has a step on you, and he doesn't have to uh, change direction, right? He's got to do the crossover. And I just, I feel bad for him because I feel like normally he makes the safe play and he doesn't have that hesitation in his game. But what I worry for him now is that things have been going so wrong early on that despite the fact that his play hasn't been as bad as it looks, it's one of those situations where things go wrong for so long that you just get down on yourself and you're like, well, I got to do things differently, but the yeah. things that you do differently are the wrong things. And then your season just goes completely into the crapper. And I think that's a very distinct possibility for David Savard. I think so too. Uh, what was the game on Thursday night? Was that the Islander game on Thursday night? The, yes. the, when they were really had a rough night, him and uh, him and Kulak, like, we went in on uh, on Friday and there's people at the station, like people I respect who think that, you know, um, I think it was uh, our buddy Gallo mentioned like Carl Alsner never had a night as bad as David Savard had that night. And I mean, that that's debatable. It might be true. It might not be true. But I also don't think that Savard has played quite as bad. And listen, it's a really small sample size, but I don't have him in Alsner territory yet. Like I get the comparables with the contract, even the style of play, although Savard typically is a little meaner uh, than Alsner, but they're both like those stay at home type of defensemen. But I don't think this signing, listen, I could be wrong, but I don't think this signing is going to get to be that bad. Like, I don't think this is a guy who's going to, whose play is going to deteriorate to the point where he's not going to be an NHLer anymore. Like, I, no. I, don't, I don't see that. No, and I think, like, wasn't Savard paid significantly more as well? Like, the cap was lower, and he was make, it was like 4.5 or something like that? Like, they, they signed him to a pretty big contract, and Savard's only making 3.5. Yeah. And I think the biggest issue here is, like, they actually went, I think it was Dom Ducharme who went out and said, like, uh, Savard's going to replace a lot of what Shea Weber brought. Shea and Weber I was like, <laughs> why, why would you say that out loud? <laughs> like, what are you doing to this guy? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It makes no sense. And for what Savard is, like he is a very one-dimensional guy at this point in his career, right? He's a stopper, defensive guy. And when the goals are going in against him, he's not bringing any offense to the table. Yeah. So it just it's like extra bad. And I, I feel for him because he probably didn't sign up to even be a top four guy. Right? Like he, he wasn't a top four guy in Tampa Bay. That's why he was no. successful there. Yeah. I see. I think, like, to me, on paper, I was like, in the playoffs, Tampa Bay, and obviously Tampa Bay, Montreal, like, you can't even compare. But, you know, it was him and Sergachev on the third pairing, and it was just kind of steady. And obviously, Sergachev has a lot to do with that, too. But, course, you know, yeah. I honestly thought that, like, him and Romanov, like, to give Romanov somebody safe and steady, like, I thought that he can be his uh, flamboyant or a little more flamboyant self. Uh, and that, I mean, that hasn't worked out either. Like, I don't think Kulak Savard is working out, No, but it's like, we're, like, what are you going to, like, what are you going to do with this guy? Like, where, where are you going to put him? I don't know. Like I, I've liked Sammy Niku at times, but I just, I don't know. Like, I think they assume that 
they would be able to play David Savard with like a Norlander or a Romanov, you know, like somebody who might be a bit lost and stuck in the defensive, uh, in their defensive end at some points. And it just, it hasn't worked out that way. No matter who they've put him with, it's kind of, it's been a struggle because again, he's another one of these guys that he's miscast. Like he, we were talking about Evans before and we were saying he's a 4C. Well, David Savard should not be your number two right-handed defenseman on your if you have playoff aspirations at the very least. So, uh, I I mean I still like him. I don't think this is a catastrophe of a signing just yet. But you're right. Like if the fans start turning on him and if things start spiraling out of control at home, especially in your home province, like maybe it gets away from him. But I don't think you know. I don't think we're there yet. No, we're we're not there yet. But I. I think you can kind of read the the weight of things on his shoulders right now, like every play. Mm. And the foot speed is an issue, especially with how bad this team bleeds rush chances against, right? Like, yeah. And that's what's making him look worse right now, right? Because he's not a, an amazing rush defender. He, has, he plays with a short stick. He's not super fast. He's solid positionally, but he kind of keeps like a loose gap. Yeah. And with that situation with the forwards that aren't coming back to apply pressure and kind of help alleviate things. Like he just gets exposed over and over and over again. And like, yeah, he looks bad and he, he is bad at that. Like that's not his bread and butter. His thing is killing guys on the cycle, you know, like killing plays on the cycle, beating on the, beating them up on the four check. Yeah. He's going to be able to stop those kinds of plays, killing penalties, his penalty killing actually so far this year, Super solid. It's the Sherratt uh, Petrie pairing that's been really rough on the penalty kill. So he's doing his job on the PK, but at even strength, the way that they're giving up chances is really detrimental to the style of player he is. And like we've talked about this before, the Canes just have too many of the same guy yeah. on D. And until they remedy that, I don't, I don't see things necessarily improving. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is what we've established here through the first few minutes of the podcast is uh, that they need more quality depth down the middle, more centers, and they need more puck-moving defensemen. So other than that, yes, like other than, other than, another, to get. <laughs> other than another top two-line center and two top four defensemen who could move the puck, like they're good. They're good other than that. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I mean... The thing is, like, I was talking to a couple friends about like what the Canadians should do, and they were like, "Gosh, should they do a full scale teardown?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't think they need that." Like, if you get into a situation where you're like, "Should we trade Tyler to Foley?" No, no. Like, yes, you get you'll get great value for him because he's on a fantastic contract. But I think that they, within his contract window, can get into a competitive window. You know, Cole Caulfield is gonna break out here eventually. Give him time in the American Hockey League. But they do need, like, they have that trio of high-end defensive prospects, right? Norlander, Harris, and Struble. And they're unfortunately in a situation where I think all three need to hit. And they need one of them to be a star, right? And that's not even accounting for if Jeff Petrie starts to decline. Because he's in his mid-30-ish range now. So, like... This is year one of a four-year deal. Yeah. so, like you, you you paid him, you bought him, you keep him. So you have to hope that he doesn't slow down. You're banking on that, uh, at least in the first half of this deal. And I'm with you. Like they're like you're not going to go out and get unless they again draft high, and they get somebody. You know they fall into like a Quinn Hughes type of thing, and you get somebody who can come in and do or Kale McCarr, whoever. But unless you get somebody who can come in and help right away, like I don't know. 
Like, I don't know how you feel about them. And I obviously haven't seen them play live a ton, but I don't know that any of those guys is going to be a star. Like they just might be really good players, Yeah. but man, they need somebody who's going to be that big minute defenseman who can play, you know, like they need their version of Haskinen or, you know, whatever the list goes on and on McCarr or whatever. But I don't know how you get that, you know, like, I don't know, like they've drafted in the top five before and they haven't come away. Like they don't have anything to show for it. So I don't know. It's kind of tough to bank on on anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say, like, if they were to get Shane Wright this year, which is a low chance, it fixes a lot of problems. Big right? hole, yeah, but again, that's you're banking on a chance. And that's why I think that they kind of need to bottom out for a couple years in a row and bank some picks. And yeah. it, it's a rough situation because you've got to talk to Carey Price, who's going to be coming back relatively soon and say like, we're going to waste a year of your career again. We're going to probably two. same with Brendan Gallagher, Jeff Petrie guys who are not necessarily in the back nine for Gallagher, but you know, they're not going to be in their prime by the time the Canadians come out of this. So it's tough conversations to have. And like what I said, when I had uh, Chris Curtis on a couple, I guess it was, it was on Halloween. I talked about like, if I was the GM, what would be the first thing that I would do? And I would sit those veterans down and say like, do you want to stick it out? Yeah. You know, cause you have to give them the respect of like, if they don't want to do that for not, not the end of the career for Gallagher, but for the other guys, like the, yeah. the rest of their career pretty much, or at least when they're impact players, got to give them respect to, if they want out, give them an option to do that. I think price is yeah, a very difficult thing to move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I think Carey Price probably doesn't want out anyway. His family's here, and he's been here his whole career. Yeah, he he's the guy that if you're gonna tear it down, you still keep as like the leader for the next gen, and you absorb the cap hit because it doesn't matter because you're bottoming out anyway. And yeah. I, I think he provides some stability to the organization as well. What you need, right? But I, I I'm with you. Like we agree, I wouldn't tear this thing down. Like, I wouldn't rip this up to shreds. Like, I think you, you have some pieces. Like, Nick Suzuki is a really nice starting point. You know, like, I don't know how you feel about Romanov. I know there's some people who thought he was, like, a top-pairing guy. Like, I think he's more of a potential, you know, that top-four guy eventually. I think he's, like, third-pair at best, honestly. You think so, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing it. I thought today he had a really good game, actually. Uh, that been, big since, hit. Since, he's, since he was healthy scratch, like, I think he's been a lot better already. Yeah, I just I don't see the upside with him as the issue because I don't think he's a very good defender and he doesn't bring much offensively either. So not really good in transition. So I'm like, where's where are we getting the upshot for all the bad reads that he makes and the adventurous play? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think he's a guy like you saw it early. Like, I think it was opening night last year where I don't know if you remember, like super specific, but like he walked the blue line like in Toronto on Mitch Marner, like in the first period, it was like one of his first shifts in the NHL. And he made like a nifty move to get around Marner. And I was like, well, okay, like this guy's got flair. He's got poise. And then they, again, they kind of beat it out of him. And I get it that you need your defenseman to be reliable, but what? I, okay. So we'll disagree on that one. I think he has top four upside, but I think you have enough pieces like Caulfield is another one. Like, I think you have enough pieces that you don't have to tear down from scratch and like to fully still in his prime, Anderson, I think he just kind of is what he is. Um, but you have some pieces there to build around. So you don't have to go full Buffalo, I don't think. To, no. you know. But you do – because the problem with finishing poorly one year out of every so often is like you could fall on drafts that are just not good. 
You, know, you mean like, like the, the Canadians the, have done twice now? Like, like the Kotkaniemi draft, like the first two picks, I'd love to have Darlene. I'd, like, I'd love to have Svechnikov, Brady Kachuk's is a different story, but like it's not the greatest, you know, it wasn't the greatest of situations there either. Like you could have had Quinn Hughes too, but, you know, I get it, but it wasn't a terrible draft. But yeah, I think if you, if you finish last, like you said, two to three years in a row, then you, you're bound to find a, you know, your version of uh, Austin Matthews or, you know, whoever, whoever that is, like you're bound to fall on, you're bound to hit on somebody. If you pick three years in a row, if you pick in the top five or whatever. So yeah. I don't think it's the full beat rebuild. I think you, you have enough nice pieces that you can just kind of take a step back organically. Absolutely. And I feel like that's one of the other things with this organization. Like if you're going to do that, I think you need to change up the management structure completely because they just haven't drafted and developed well for way too long of a time now to be trusted to actually rebuild the team. And I think, you know, maybe the draft record shows up a lot differently if, like, Norlinder, uh, Struble, Harris, if Cole Caulfield becomes a star. Like, if that ends up happening, it kind of changes the narrative a little bit on Bergevin's tenure as, a, like, in terms of drafting and developing. But, like, we're still nine years in. You know, like it's been a long time and they've bottomed out three times now and they have none of those first round picks, right? Sergachev, they traded for Duran, which I mean, we could argue about that trade all day long. Sergachev is a really nice player. I still don't think it's as big of a loss as people seem to be convinced of because he's played mostly third pair his entire NHL career. But, uh, you know, Galchenyuk gone, uh, obviously Kokaniemi gone this summer and getting Dvorak for the pick that they got for Kokaniemi, that, that's decent value. But again, we're not super impressed with Dvorak yet either. He's been better than Kokaniemi, but like they didn't well, really on, trust though. him anyway. So you're, you're saying decent value. Like if the Canadians like string together a stretch and march and finish outside the top 10. Yeah. Like, then it's bad. If though. I have to, if I have to give like the 11th, 12th, 13th overall pick for Christian Dvorak, I feel a lot differently about that deal like if it ends up if they end up getting the carolina pick and they pick like you know 25 and later like i'm okay i'm fine i'm i'm okay with that but yeah i don't know if the canadians are going on a on a run that long that takes them out of the top 10 or out of the top 10 draft selections at this point but yeah like that can get messy if they start to win down the stretch yeah it really could that would be the ultimate uh, kick in the pants if Carey Price Oof. comes back and just like <laughs> oh. pulls them right out of it, you know. I'll <laughs> be nasty. Yeah, we've mentioned it a few times on the show. Just like that would be the most Habs things the ha- thing to happen is that Price comes back and he's like, I'm gonna win myself a heart trophy. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you can't, you can't. But um look, I, I think I think in terms of like we're saying, like I think they're in a decent spot, but you're missing the high-end talent. And in terms of the draft and developing thing, like, again, it's going to be something weird to say because they just went to a Stanley Cup final. But even if all those guys that you mentioned end up hitting, like, you failed to draft and develop for so long before those guys that it ended up catching up to you. Because, like, let's not get it twisted. Arizona's bad. They're terrible. But they knew they were going to be terrible. The Canadians did not think they were going to be terrible this year. The Blackhawks didn't either, but the Canadians in the Eastern Conference thought that they'd compete for a playoff spot. So it's problematic that you've looked as bad as you have when you're trying to compete this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what the Carolina, or not the Carolina Hurricanes, the Arizona Coyotes stockpiled in terms of draft picks. Like, they knew they were going to be bad. This is a make-or-break year for that organization. I think they have something like four, three or four first-round picks and five second-round picks. Yeah. You go on like cap friendly. I've never seen 
the picks have to be stacked on their little graphics. Yeah. They have so many picks in the first two rounds. I've never seen anything like it. So they knew what they were doing. Canadians definitely not so much. And trading that first round pick could definitely haunt them. But, but to uh, your I think... point, to your point, sorry to cut you off, but no to worries. your point, like, isn't this the perfect time to like go away from this regime? Like it's kind yes. of all falling into place for you, right? Like the GM's out of contract and he can, if he's gone and go somewhere else, he can take everybody, all this, his close guys, he can take them with him and you can literally start from scratch with, with new people. Yeah. And I, I think the main takeaway for that is like, they need to do that soon. And I understand that it might be a difficult decision to move on from your long-term general manager and a lot of the management team, but like you have to give the next guy the ability to assess in season where you're involved with the players, where you can talk to people in the organization and figure out like what needs to actually happen. You have to let them establish their own scouting staff. Maybe it might not even be scouting staff. It might be directives to the scouting staff, you know, and head into the trade deadline with the right direction, head into the draft, having assessed the organization fully and what you want to do. Don't just hire a guy around the same time as you did with Mark Bergevin, which was like right before the draft. And then you're flying by the seat of your pants. You have Mm. the old regime making picks. And then the next season, the new GM is crying publicly about like, he wanted a different player in the draft, which is like, you want to talk about how badly they handled Alex Galchenyuk as a rookie, Mark Bergevin's out there saying, Oh, I would have taken Morgan Riley. Like get out of here, man. Like, even if it's true, you don't say that while the guy's still in your organization. Just like, that's just awful, man. So I I think you got to cut the cord, do the painful thing right away. And then think about the future. Cause the longer they wait, the tougher it's going to be for the next guy. I shouldn't even say guy next person. Yeah. But how, like how often does it happen where, a team will get permission to bring on a GM who's working for somebody else in season. Like, I feel like it doesn't really happen that often in hockey. Like there's, I mean, maybe there's special circumstances. I don't know if you have to give a draft pick in that case, if you're promoting the guy or whatever, but it doesn't typically happen in season with a GM. Like it's very, very rare. Yeah. It does seem pretty rare. I think it it depends on if they're like how high up they are, I guess. I know I've seen Mm. a lot of people, talking about Matthew Darsh. He's he's a guy that I'd be very interested in. But what I talked about on the last show was that we talk so much about you know the the francophone thing being a limitation on like what kind who you can hire, right? But the biggest limitation for a general manager is a hockey man. That's what's your your limiting factor, right? Go outside of the hockey man. Find the best manager. He can he or she can surround themselves with hockey people. Right. It doesn't matter if the manager knows really anything about hockey. Their job is to be a manager, manage yeah, the company. I think, look, look at Julian Breezebaugh. Before he started out, like you can take somebody who's come up the ranks, whatever, but like he's not a high end hockey guy. Not before he started as a general manager in the AHL. Like he just learned the ropes on the fly and he's a brilliant dude. And now he's probably the best general manager in the league in competition with like his former boss, Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Well, look, I think in fairness and like, it's, it's not fair to say that he inherited a uh, Stanley cup winner. He, I mean, he did, but he, but did he was there longer moves, than Eiserman, right? Like he sure. started building that team before. For sure. So, but, and he also made some moves after Eiserman left that helped them, you know, cement that the, the back-to-back uh, Stanley cup title. But 
I don't know, like I think in this market, man, I think it's a different beast in the sense that you need somebody who kind of has that Bergevin personality that, you know, I'm going to make the decision hockey wise and I'm going to live with it. You could surround yourself with great hockey people, but you need somebody who's, I don't know, you need somebody who's built a little different. You need somebody who's going to be bold in the hockey sense. So I don't, I don't know, like you can surround yourself with whoever, but uh, I'm, I'm real fascinated to see. And I, and I do understand, like, I'm not one of those angles that's going to sit here and tell you like, Oh yeah, I think that uh, hiring a French guy is stupid. Like, no, I get it, but it, there's no doubt that it needs to be done, but there are, there are limitations. Like you, you're like, it's, I find it's hard enough to find competent hockey people who fit a vision and who are going to be able to execute flawlessly at a high enough level to make you competitive year in and year out. And when you're kind of shrinking the talent pool, like you really need to do your due diligence. You really need to turn over every rock, every stone, and you need to make sure that you get it right. So uh, in a way, like I I get why they have to do this, but it's also, it makes the selection process that much more important because you don't have the amount of candidates that everybody else has. Yeah. And that's why I think they have to open it to outside of the traditional hockey people. Right. And you can also buffer that by cre- like hiring somebody to be the team president, right? Like why is Jeff Molson <laughs> president yeah. of hockey operations? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would help. I mean, uh, like your, your favorite team, the Maple Leafs do it. So why can't, why can't the Canadians do it too? No, but I, something I would, again, like you said, this is a great opportunity to start fresh and for Jeff Molson, like you can be the owner, but let's do something different here than what you've done in years past. Like you, you had a trip to the conference final where if your goalie doesn't get hurt, maybe you go to the Stanley Cup final. And then you had another trip to the Stanley Cup final where they mopped the floor with you last year in the final. But but so you had like some successes. But now that this tenure is over or it seems over, go in a different direction. Try to think a little bit outside the box, like you're saying, but do things differently. Hire a president, uh, president of hockey ops, go after the general manager, whoever you want, but try to do things a little bit differently and see if the results, you know, maybe the results are better. Maybe they're not, but maybe they are. Yeah. I mean, if anybody has the financial capacity to do something differently, it's the Montreal Canadiens, right? It's like them, mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs, the Rangers, the Rangers aren't doing anything differently. The Maple Leafs are a little bit differently structured than most teams. I think the Montreal Canadiens have to do a big job of catching up to the way things are done in the modern NHL. They're way too traditional compared to the teams that are actually successful nowadays. And hey, it's never too late to start. You can always get ahead. If you've got money and a good plan, you can get ahead, especially in this league. This league, almost everybody in a GM position is a former NHL player. Mm You're telling me like... The only people who know hockey are former NHL players. No, the only people who are good managers are former NHL players. Look at every other major sport. That's not the way it is. So Mm -hmm. get ahead, do something creative and uh, give us something to fun to watch on the ice because it hasn't been that fun (laughs) to watch this year. (laughs) I wonder, and you tell me what you think, but I wonder if, Jeff Molson, you know, I mean, listen, they just went to the final with that old school mentality, the big bruising defenseman, you know, play that tight defensive style, good penalty killing, timely scoring, a good, you know, good goaltending. I wonder if that doesn't impact their decision, you know, and I wonder if they don't say to themselves like, hey, well, we had this type of success the old school way. 
you know, maybe we go back to that. I don't know. Well, I mean, based on their moves in the summer, they definitely thought that, right? Yeah. But yeah. the beginning of this season should be killing that feeling it should be dead in the water and i think they should really look at the forest for the trees and say like if it weren't for covid they wouldn't have made the playoffs the last two years either so that playoff success while nice something to point to doesn't exist for this team like we are now the way things are trending if it weren't for covid i believe we'd be in the midst of like a fifth year in a row missing the playoffs yeah. which has it's never true. happened for this organization. It's so it's, it's ironic that like they've had, they had the best playoffs since 93, but the last five years have probably been the worst stretch of regular seasons in the history of the franchise. Yeah. It, I mean, in fairness last year, I mean, the schedule down the stretch after the COVID, like after they went on pause was like ridiculous. Uh, and I think they would have only narrowly missed out on a, on a playoff spot if it was a normal year. So if it's a balanced schedule, who knows, like maybe they get in, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. They wouldn't have upset Pittsburgh in the bubble in Toronto. You know, they don't get by the Leafs if it's not a Canadian division. So, uh, from that perspective, yeah, man, I guess uh, I guess you're right. But I'm I don't know. I still I'll believe the outside the box thinking and hirings when I see them. Yeah, I don't expect it. I mean, I think this organization will will have to be dragged kicking and screaming into the future. <laughs> but <laughs> on that point, uh, we'll we'll shut her down for the evening. Thanks so much, Joey, for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to have you on again. Uh, hopefully, for a game that's a little bit more exciting. I, they they had some exciting moments in the third period there. That Jake Evans goal was absolutely sick, but. Uh, Maybe the Canadians could score more than two for once. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I really look forward to doing it again, man. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hopefully get some more uh, some more exciting games going. That would be nice. My pleasure, man. Uh, before I let you go, tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to this season. Yeah, man. So I'm on uh, TSN 690 radio here in Montreal every day, uh, three to seven. I'm uh, part of uh, Mitch Melnick's crew, I guess. And uh, we talk uh, mostly hockey. We do talk a little football, a little soccer, NBA and all that stuff too. But uh, most of our coverage is uh, focused on the NHL and the Montreal Canadiens. So three to seven, Monday to Friday on uh, 690. You heard it right here. Go check them out, everybody.